I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Welcome to Heroes 3, the bi-weekly podcast where three friends explore the best, worst, and everything in between in the world of Asian cinema. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Heroes the number three on all three of them. So, this week, I'm very, very excited. We're continuing our look at Chambara film with possibly the most Chambariest of the films we've done so far <laughs> with uh, 1972's Lone Wolf and Cub, The Sword of Vengeance which was directed by Kinji Misumi, who we also saw for uh, Zatoichi earlier, mm-hmm. um, and starring Tamisabro Wakiyama um, as, as the main protagonist, Ogami Ito. And this is so the first cool, film in our series in color. Yep, you're right, it is. That's right, because I watched several of the Zatoichi movies, and the third one is in color, but we yeah. can talk about the one on the podcast. But yes, this one's in color. We're and in the we 70s. see a lot of red, which I love. <laughs> yeah yeah we're now we're in the 70s here and um mm. there's a lot of dna from zatoichi in this film uh we've mentioned before that tomi saburo is shintaro katsu's brother and actually yeah, yeah. shintaro katsu is one of the main reasons that this film even exists so by the 70s shintaro katsu has his own production company katsu productions and uh honestly from what i've heard he's gotten pretty tired of doing zatoichi films <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned that there are more than 20 films in the yeah. span of a decade and um the uh the companies came to him actually looking to adapt uh Kazuo Koike's manga Lone Wolf and Cub to mm-hmm. uh to make it into a film and he he actually wasn't interested in starring in it and uh but what ended up happening is he went to his brother and his brother actually was ridiculously excited to star <laughs> as Ogami Ito. And uh, mm-hmm. there's actually a pretty funny story of uh, Wakayama going to Kazuo Koike's office and basically begging for the role, but actually like kind of proving <laughs> his worth. So um, he's no. kind of a bigger dude. He doesn't, similar to Zatoichi, obviously yeah. you can see the resemblance. These aren't yeah. the most physical uh men here but (laughs) (laughs) um he came to koika's office and said i want to play ogami ito like i demand that you let me do this and he had like a fake sword with him and he did some performance and actually flipped Mm. around for koike and (laughs) he said cool yeah he said something like i might be fat but i can do this (laughs) (laughs) yeah so he uh yeah that that basically locked in uh, him for the role that we see him in here and i was just uh, picturing was... that he went to the office and like stripped down into samurai underwear <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah like he yeah. does it with amazing confidence it's like mm-hmm. kind yeah of, kind of an inspiration body positive legend <laughs> yeah and actually koike had a big part in uh the development of the film as well he actually was a screenwriter for um i think all of the films Maybe not the last two, but um, either way, he he had a direct hand in adapting his original work. Uh, he was the writer for the original. Uh, Goseki Kojima was the artist, and um, he uh, helped translate it to the screen. And actually, 
um there are moments in here where they're directly taken from mm -hmm. the, the manga and it's actually really impressive how they handle that and actually in some moments you can argue that it's even cooler than what they show in the manga and we can talk about that as we go yeah. through the film yeah that's amazing yeah now i in whenever we were first kind of planning for this arc i um i i think that maybe even want to do this was actually we'll get into it a little bit prior during the episode but uh, the Mandalorian on Disney Plus from mm -hmm. the, started uh, 2019 is a very similar, and I'm I'm sure that's intentional. It's a very similar idea of like, you know, it's the whole Western cow cowboy turned into, or the samurai turns into the cowboy, which turns into the space cowboy for yeah. for bounty hunters and Star Wars. Mm. But the whole uh, finding. Uh, a child and having to basically carry the child around with you while you're doing dangerous mercenary and, and a little work. pram too which is kind um of yeah and yeah and having a little like a little a little multi-use carriage to carry the baby around in yeah actually you'd say that the cart is more useful than uh baby yoda's little floating guy yeah, that's true so. but it was <laughs> weird when this little baby like kept eating frog after frog like, <laughs> um, yeah it's weird they just yeah. it was one-to-one favreau's a <laughs> It's a fraud. One of the like things fraud that, Since That's you since you brought up Mandalorian, one of the things that I I don't know, maybe maybe I was listening too hard to try and find mm -hmm. a similarity, but I feel like the main theme for like the the intro of Lone Wolf and Cub, there's like kind of this wild like reverb guitar like Yeah. Kind of oh, sure. That kind of reminds me of the very beginning part of the mandalorian's theme i mean it doesn't oh, yeah it doesn't kind of build to what the mandalorian's theme does yeah. but i think it's pretty similar actually mm -hmm. i think and i think a lot of that's it, it might be a direct callback but i think a lot of it's just a lot of the spaghetti westerns in this time just yeah. had that as right. like music and a lot of that is kind of Oh, uh, it's funny the spaghetti western and and Japanese samurai movies kind of have a constant back and forth overlap between the two, mm. and like they keep influence each other. <laughs> yeah, like totally. Ouroboros kind of. Well, thing. and when you're playing in the same kind of region, it doesn't really even require you being read up on on mm. everything to to kind of draw parallels. Like I imagine. Uh, you could probably make your own zombie film having seen two or three films and there are likely going to be a lot of common themes that <laughs> yeah. you know, already exist or whatever. But no, yeah, it's yeah, fascinating. I guess we didn't really get into that back and forth too much. We did talk about it way back when, when we covered Yojimbo. Um, mm. But yeah, the kind of reciprocating influence between the West and the East was uh pretty rampant through these other uh, western genre and uh chambara film and um i mean I, I feel like i read like john ford films influenced the japanese directors that would come yeah. to do samurai films mm -hmm. and then those samurai films would influence you know the spaghetti yeah. westerns and stuff like that and i think that's uh, really cool right. that's almost its own topic for itself well it's cool too because oh, yeah. it's kind of a generational handoff um mm -hmm. you know john ford influencing japanese directors of the you know 50s 60s um and then the kind of bearded generation of hollywood directors um you know were so influenced <laughs> by these uh oh, yeah. japanese films and yeah it's just kind of an awesome conversation also it's so cool that they're kind of relatively equivalent 
periods in the um, respective histories to mm. to draw from. You know, it's like like feudal Japan isn't really like the Wild West, but yet there's there's enough there where uh, you can draw out a lot of mm-hmm. like similar themes. It's yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, and right now it's 1972, and actually, uh, what I was reading was that uh, Chambara films were on a downward trend. And uh, Kenji Misumi, the director, actually was feeling like this is kind of going to be relegated to TV. And actually, Lone Wolf and Cub kind of revitalized the Chambara genre for its time. And I, I do feel like it's in a big part um, the, the the violence that you see in this movie, the the kind of wild kind of exploitation of the the sword violence here but i also do <laughs> feel like there's like a counterculture to it that i think it resonated with people in the 60s you know like culture that uh even in japan there was a lot of kind of counterculture stuff going on and i we've covered let's see what when is the street fight i feel like it's shortly after this maybe 1976 yeah, you know yeah, you've got these 74 it's it's around that yeah area, i think though. right around yeah. that time yeah totally. you've got these kind of things and i mean even with the sort of doom that we talked about last time it's kind of like this kind of inverted take on what you would expect from uh samurai film so i think that yeah that culturally uh it brought something to the table that people were really hoping for or hurting for so they were there were six lone wolf and cub films and uh, not, not and, quite the the 22 or whatever it is for Satoshi. right but <laughs> i i do feel like uh tomi saburo wakayama was very dedicated to the role and people talk about how serious he was with how ogami ito is handled and he'd have a lot of input and like oh he should act this way or if a character did something weird he'd be like no that's not how they would act and um they actually were trying to uh adapt lone wolf and cub to become a tv series and um he wouldn't have been in the role and he was actually so upset about that (laughs) that he's like i'm not doing this anymore so i do honestly feel like if that didn't happen we could have had another zatoichi situation where it was like 20 something movies Mm -hmm. but because he was so stubborn i guess (laughs) it just kind (laughs) of ended the series and it didn't end up following the manga which i mean matthew and i were talking about this before we recorded is huge i have the first omnibus and it's 700 pages and it really Uh doesn't even get into all of the material that we see in this first film because they kind of Mm -hmm. jump back and forth time-wise revealing more of the past of this main character and his son and well and i wasn't the manga one of the early kind of like crossover hits in um in america yeah i mean the uh, yeah. frank there's like the frank miller the, cover yeah. Yeah. yeah he does the covers say, yeah the 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 if you get an english language version of lone wolf and cub now it's probably the 90s dark horse prince and yeah it's frank miller yeah with but the covers yeah even before that though when they were yeah, because he did the covers up. in the 80s, I think. Yeah, right? it's and like, I think Dark, first... Dark Horse Edition used them. Or maybe, yeah. it's, maybe it's the 80s, but... No, it's it's different. So, like, for I think it was called First Comics or something. And, I mean, we can talk about comic books if you want. <laughs> but Frank Miller was, like, super into it. And, I mean, Lone Wolf and Cub okay. and the... Kind I, was, of... I was getting confused, yes. The first comics ones are the ones that I was 
I was thinking with Frank Miller, but yes, the ones you'll find online are probably the Dark Horse ones. Yeah. I mean, the ones that you'll buy in your local comic book store are the Dark Horse ones. And I think those Dark Horse editions, they use some of the Miller covers, right? Yeah, the Omnibus that I have has a cover by Frank Miller, and he uh, would um, write some, like, forewords for the comics back then, too. And anybody that's familiar with his material can see that these were very influential in his work. Mm. Uh, Was it... Oh, as far as Atoichi that I got into Frank Miller a little bit because of uh, the influence on Stick in Daredevil and stuff like that. Oh, so, sure. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all related. It's it's you know again here we are seeing you know how different cultures influence each other and I kind of mm-hmm. we kind of all reap the rewards of it. <laughs> so it, <laughs> yeah, it's really cool to talk about. Well, it's it's awesome too thinking of because um, I mean obviously it's important to mention the conversation across filmmakers but across mediums is super interesting because uh, i mean so far each one of these films in this arc boasts like just such glorious framing and perspective and you could totally see that as being influential on you know comic artists mm-hmm. you know, somebody like frank miller yeah yeah totally and anime too you know we talked about that a little bit yeah, last episode sure. but yeah, really, really exciting stuff. Let's see, what what were some other things I wanted to mention before we started talking about the movie? <laughs> I think that pretty much covers everything. Um, yeah, so Yeah, any any connections with the any connections with the manga I was gonna bring up yeah. during the episode. Oh, so. and I did watch a PG version. It was like forty five minutes. Did I miss any <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is okay. No one dies. <laughs> oh, I guess before we, we since you're talking about different versions of the movie, we should talk about Shogun Assassin oh, yeah. very quickly before. So um <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys had time to watch it, but I, I kind of shared it with you guys too. And Shogun Assassin was brought over to, it's it's the first, it's like maybe like 15 minutes of Lone Wolf and Cub's Sword of Vengeance, which we're talking about today. But then it's also, much of the material is from uh, uh, Baby Cart on the Baby River Cart, Sticks. Baby Cart on the River Sticks. Yeah, yeah the, the second, second film. One. So what they did is, chopped it all up it's a dubbed only so um and they actually redid the score so honestly i do feel like it's it's awesome it's actually really cool (laughs) (laughs) cool. yeah the way that it kind of puts everything together and gives you the essentials from the first film and then uh kind of gives you like the meat from the second film which i feel like the second film is like they turn everything way up and it's super entertaining mm-hmm. and yeah it's uh, really good too it, it's got a whole bunch of really cool characters and there's like all of the action is really great and just where it goes is super fun so um i really can't fault them for doing what they did i mean we've seen so many times where things get totally jacked up when people mm-hmm. bring them out here but it kind of exists as as its own thing and it's developed a huge cult following and i, I think i mean i remember seeing clips of it when i was a kid and i never i was like whoa what is this <laughs> you know but um <laughs> watching it for the podcast i feel like i don't know if it was a happy accident or what but it, so, something about it really works so that's cool it's kind of yeah. like meet the beatles the capitol records version of the first <laughs> beatles album yeah. which is like combining you know basically the strongest songs from please please me and then the newest singles and it ends up being yeah. just like this ultimate it's, thing mm, yeah it's, i could see I, that i'd argue it's it's almost better than yeah. the actual first album yeah for sure did, so it's just like a listening experience it's like 
just yeah. knocks you over. For me, I I I really do like the the music. It's a very like it's 1980, so it's like hard synth uh, album. Oh, very cool. And it's, wow, it's pretty dude. widely available digitally. I know it's on Spotify, and I know it's like on like whatever Amazon or iTunes and stuff. So that's super cool. And the the, the one thing I really should mention too is that when you watch it. So uh, you've seen this film, and we're going to talk about it today, but uh, Daigoro, the son, literally like doesn't say hardly anything throughout the whole yeah. movie, right? But the kind of the crux of Shogun Assassin is that there's an overdub of like Daigoro's voice, but it, you kind of get the sense that he's a little older looking back at... Oh, um, I thought it was going to be like, stuff. look who's talking or something. <laughs> yeah, no, not like that at all. <laughs> that would be awesome too. But um, it's it's like still a young like a kid's voice but he's describing the carnage and describing his father's oh, like dude. path and it actually That's works cool. really well it's kind of cool to find the shogun's brother we had to take a ship it was fun but there's too many people on the ship too many dangerous people and it kind of puts a bandage over all of like the, the narrative stuff that you would miss from getting a movie you know, two movies pushed together oh, like sure. they did. Mm-hmm. So um, that's one of the other things that I think kind of works for it. I, I, I know that it has a cult following. I don't really know if there's kind of people that are like pooing on it because it's not the original. I'm sure mm-hmm. that there's kind of a contingent out there because there always is. But um, well, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault you if that's like your attachment to Lone Wolf and Cub is Shogun Assassin. That's, that's awesome. Like that's yeah. really cool. And the Criterion uh, set that I have. Mm, that's what I shared with you guys is uh, um, Shogun Assassin. It was added to that collection as well. It's really, gotcha. really fun stuff. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's about time that we jumped into the movie itself. But first, let's take a look at the back of the VHS. One man holds the honorable role of executioner among the shogunate. Ogami Ito's precise blade ceremoniously stained. His place in this world is coveted by the Uriyagui clan. And when they make their move, his family pays with their lives. Ito and his son Daigoro escape and start a new path. Aronin and his son walk the white path of righteousness, but now live like demons at the crossroads to hell. Father. Son. Sword. Kenji Masumi directs this adaptation of Kazuo Koke's Chambara Bloodbath. Tommy Saburo Wakayama stars in The Lone Wolf and Cub, Sword of Vengeance. So, the movie doesn't mess around with the start. No. <laughs> yeah, it goes hard. Literally, man. the first thing that you see is a little boy being led to his execution. <laughs> I love it. And, and our, our hero, Okami Ito, killing a child. Yeah. I mean, you don't see it explicitly on the screen, but it's still, still rough. Kind of like sets everything into motion to knowing like who he is and why he's you know doing the things he does. Yeah, it's a, an amazing piece of filmmaking and mm-hmm. acting. Um, a lot of <laughs> a lot of what really affects you is you know this nonverbal, incredibly tense uh, situation. And yeah, what a powerful way to to open the film, man. I I love the 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 shots of the kid. He's like, "What did I do? The you know what you yeah. did. <laughs> you should have you should have picked up those Legos. We told you before. 
Now I'm just imagining some cruel parent that only shows the opening of this movie to their kids yeah. when they need them to like do chores and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And actually, uh, there's a little detail here where when he has to sit down at the altar for the traditional like seppuku, um, he's a little kid, right? They're not going to give him a knife. So usually yeah. you'll have the tanto, a little, a short sword, and that's what you'll use to disembowel yourself. But as tradition continued, sometimes they wouldn't do that. And um, you would have uh, like a ceremonial fan that you'd hold and the kids holding mm-hmm. the fan. And the moment that he kind of raises it up in acknowledgement is when it's like the signal to Ogami yeah. Ito to lop that head off. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And yeah, so that's that's who we're introduced to here. Ogami Ito is the Shogun assassin, and mm-hmm. he's uh, working under the Shogunate. And he it's it's a high honored position, and he wears like the Hollyhock royal crest yeah. on his uh, attire. And his entire purpose is to be uh, the it's called the Kanshakunin, the the secondary person in the seppuku that. Uh, will yeah. lop off the head and and complete the process. Yeah, and then we get a little like a little like text thing to kind of explain like the world and w- what's what's going on in this world. But it's just kind of a big thing to to set up for uh, uh <laughs> all the oh basically just to set up to show you he's a high honored person, and then you see just how screwed he gets. Yeah, um, yeah, but it basically it's. Uh, this situation we've talked about a handful of times it's people kind of trying to get power so uh under the shogunate there are like three arms of basically his enforcers and one of them is ogami ito's position the kanshakunin and um there's also kind of a a group of assassins that you come to know as the yagyu uh and yagyu is a name that i've seen so many times in like anime and video games and it's usually like a ninja you know and i Mm. i wanted to try and find out where the root is from that but honestly the the ends that i came up with is that yagyu it's a common term for ninjas but there's no real historical relation to that it's it's almost like this um i don't know maybe a game of telephone where it's a name that became known to be tied to ninjas but it actually Mm. There's no, I, I don't know, maybe I got to do more homework. And I mean, if somebody's listening, knows, hit me mm-hmm. up, let me know, because I always yeah. want to know that stuff. But um, I mean, I think of like Yagyu Jubei in Samurai Showdown. He's very uh, influenced by uh, Sonny Chiba's portrayal of like Yagyu. He's like an eye-patched ninja samurai dude. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, but basically what that boils down to in this film is that the Yagyu kind of have their own motivations. They want more power. And in order to do that they have to take out um, Ogami Ito. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like the whole the whole plot behind him kind of going rogue. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the most interesting things about how the movie unfolds is um, it's very creative with, with time. So, you know, we have that really shocking opening prologue. And then after the, the main titles and that bit of explanation, then we're flung into a time period. We're not you know, we're not entirely sure what's what's led to this circumstance. And then there are a sequence of some really effective flashbacks that almost feel like chapters in a book. They really kind of extend on. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just, I thought it's really fascinating. Though I could also understand how someone could look at the first two films, 
picture the American market and kind of devise something like the editing of Shogun Assassin. Yeah, because cool. there are some uh, using the voiceover for Daigoro in the film. They they kind of cover over cultural gaps in uh, that dialogue, so that that, that kind of takes care That's of smart. some of the stuff. Yeah, that um, makes sense. When we first see him post, you know, the intro credits, uh, we're immediately introduced to him in the way that you'd see him in the series. So uh, you've got a samurai pushing a a wooden cart. Uh, it kind of looks like Flintstones kind of situation with the <laughs> the flat like wheels. Uh, oh, dude, but, he's yeah, like yeah. Bam Bam. Okay. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so yeah. one shot for shot remake inspires another shot for shot remake. <laughs> yeah, <kidding>. exactly. <laughs> um, one of the things I think is pretty funny here is that he's basically got an advertisement, like a big sign hanging off of his back that yeah. says sword for hire, son for hire. And it says <laughs> his sword style, which we'll come to know as Suiyoru, and uh, it has his name on the banner, which is like, either that's like, I think it's maybe just like a super strong flex by him because it's like, <laughs> all right, if you, de- if you dudes are coming after me, here I am. But yeah. I also think it's pretty funny that somebody that's basically on the run has a big old yeah. sign saying who they are. And then... And then by the end of the movie, he is, has to use a fake name, <laughs> yeah. which I like. Right. Um, but yeah, this is the walking out with the 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 sun for hire, sword for hire. That's how the manga starts. Mm. But uh, and like the conversation where like the the two the two men are saying like, oh, does it say Okami like a wolf? And like, no, it's Ogami like prey. Yeah. Which. I think it's. I think that's funny because yeah, because I was also a little confused when I heard that because I was like, oh yeah, lone wolf and it's Ocon. Oh no, it's a different. It's just a different word that sounds similar. So. Yeah, and it actually um, ends up paying off later in the film. Um, yeah, yeah. I like how that and ends up working um, out. But you have a moment. But here. then the yeah the moment the next moment was is what most of the rest of the the scene is is based on chapter four of the manga where mm-hmm. the where the woman. Uh, runs out and is like, "Oh, son for hire! I need to breastfeed, so let me hire your son." Yeah, some crazy lady. Yeah, and yeah. she's sort of raving, and we can tell mm. that she's not quite all right. And yeah, God, yeah, this is such a yeah. It, it's I, I don't even know how to describe the emotions. It's like yeah, yeah. You like you you pity her. It's also kind of frightening, and it's also just interesting and strange yeah it's like a window into like you know this dangerous world you know you've got people that are like at the lowest of the low and you've got the highest of the high and ogamito experienced both parts of this world Mm -hmm. you know like he was one of the most honored members of the shogunate and now he's pushing a cart and getting rained on you know um following this like kind of segue they like showed like a storm start and then it goes into the first flashback where you see uh ito with his family and they have a beautiful home and uh he has a brand new son and he's very um i mean not that he ever smiles i don't think he ever is actually he he laughs once but it's in the meanest way to laugh (laughs) (laughs) he does Cause, yeah, because there's one scene where he's even like he's like playing with his son, and even then he looks deadly just, serious while he's splashing water at his his baby. Yeah, actually, that's a. I'm glad you mentioned that too because I was thinking about uh, as a manga, like where this kind of relates to stuff of the time, and I know that uh, Koike and um, 
you guys are familiar with Lupin the Third, you know, the, the thief yeah. kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, Monkey Punch was a kind of a contemporary from around that time. But also mm-hmm. you had, and I forget the mangaka's name, but Golgo 13. Have you heard of that? The assassin, like the professional? Yeah, I've I've heard of it. I haven't read it. So, okay, Duke Togo, he's like this expert sniper, and he's like super hardcore assassin, and uh, he's never smiling. Like, he's always angry, always <laughs> scowl on his face. And I do feel like, in a lot of ways, uh, this is... Lone Wolf and Cub is kind of a feudal era answer to Golgo 13 because if you read the manga, a lot of the chapters are different types of assassinations. And it's actually kind of, sometimes it's kind of funny how Ogami Ito like sets up these kills. And sometimes it's like, you know, I'm super hardcore and I use this technique. So it kind of reminds me of Golgo 13. And that came out in 1968, two years before Lone Wolf and Cub. So it's kind of cool to think about that in context. I'm sorry, I'm derailing yeah. us again. No, you're good. No, well, in the in the in the manga, also he he has basically two expressions. He has the serious face, and then he has the smirk, the smirk. before he kills someone. Yeah. that's kind of the two looks gotcha. he has in the in the, yeah. in the manga. And yeah, Goseki Kojima's artwork is really cool too. From it being 1970, yes. at first when I started reading it, I didn't kind of get it. But as I kept reading it, I was like, damn, the wild energy of his artwork. Oh, yeah really goes a long way to sell the action mm-hmm. in the, the manga. That's yeah. awesome. And translates really well to a lot of the really cool like lighting and stuff in the in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Man, you know um who I was thinking of uh watching the movie was um Yun Chun Yi whenever he's playing like a mad villain like in Dreadnought yeah. or something. I feel like he's channeling some of that Ogami Oh, totally. Um, I love that. Yeah, he mm-hmm. you know he's definitely like a slimmer build, but he kind of has that same that same intensity, yeah. That's that's really great. I mean, I mean, obviously we love that dude. Wouldn't it be cool if he had like his own series of films that were like comparable to this? <laughs> no, dude. Yeah. Damn. Amazing. Yeah, that would have been amazing. Uh, oh. I feel like we look at all of the, the <laughs> every like, random char- character actor from those <laughs> Hong Kong movies and think they. They could have been at least like a Yun Bu level of, of star or yeah. at least a couple of leading vehicles. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so like, let's get into this. So this flashback yes. continues. He's with his family. It's very nice. But it, I mean, it <laughs> like doesn't. The, the the bridge is watching Digro being breastfed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah. get some boobs in this movie. Well, more yeah, exploitation. I think, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think they had a boob quota in yep. the movie. And the boobs are very, there's only one time where the boobs are at all erotic and every other time it's either breastfeeding or in, you know, acts of sexual violence. Yeah, right. So um, he's in front of an altar praying to this altar at night with his son. And uh, you see a knight, basically like a a monk, like a a Buddhist monk at night, like giving, offering a prayer. But He's actually one of the ninja clan that they're setting up kind of an assassination. And it's actually kind of a cool device because he's kind of ringing a chime. And actually the ninjas are all coordinating to his chime. So every time he makes a a bell ring, they make a footstep or they make a movement. So they make their way into the compound. And uh, yeah, he's... His family is killed. Uh, all all that survives is uh, Daigoro and himself. And uh, this kind of is like very out of nowhere. And um, 
you get a tragic moment with his wife and she actually like leaves like a blood mark on Daigoro's face. Well, you also see one of the ninjas planting something in his, um, yeah. 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 Like the sign of the shogun. Yeah. And that's how they, that's how they used it. Like to frame him because he's like, I, you know, he swears that he's going to figure out who did it to him. And then the, I guess like the, the inspector shows up and it like, it just becomes more and more clear that this is the, the Yagyu clan, like basically trying to take him down by, by, uh, um, yeah, by it's like a kangaroo him. court kind of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, vibe. and he's, yeah, he, he, once he understands this, this turns into, you know, an encounter. Now mm-hmm. he knows that the, the Yagyu clan is out to get him and, uh, he's basically going to die anyway. So he takes the fight to them and you get to see him tearing dudes up. It's so, oh, so, so great. Good, so yeah. now this is, yeah. The, the first flashes of bright red that we see in the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, his, and, and I love that the way that one of the ways that it starts is, uh, cause that's one of the ways that they try to frame him is with that little like, uh, tablet thing. And one of the first things he does is to block one of their attacks. He holds it up and they cut it right through the, the Shogun's crest. Yeah, perfect. Um, and then he's just chopping up dudes and like cutting through guys. And then like the bamboo next to the guy falls apart. And it's so it's stuff that like, it's definitely very like manga, very anime. Mm-hmm. And it's cool seeing it because usually whenever that stuff gets translated to live action, it looks pretty goofy, but it it does it in a cool way here. Yeah, it, it I like that you mentioned like anime manga. I mean, obviously we're kind of in the same area, but the way the fight kind of leads you, you end up in like this kind of river. There's like a little like waterfall and it's it's almost shocking because as the fight is carried, it's like a long shot, but then you've got this full screen flashing of like these <laughs> angry eyes <laughs> and what you find is this this is retsudo who is kind of like the the secret leader of the shadow uh yagyu clan and he knows about ito he knows about his skills and he actually is kind of like the narrator that kind of introduces you to uh ogami ito's sword technique it's called suyoryu and um it's actually it's actually a real sword style but koike when he wrote this he chose it just because uh the name sounding cool. So <laughs> after hey, you know. after he became popular with this, he realized, oh, this is actually a real style. So <laughs> he went to pay his respects to like uh the the school that that practices. So mm-hmm. um it's funny how it's kind of like oh, a coincidental so cool. connection, but um Suioru, oh, let me see. I wrote this down. It's actually kind of cool. Something dragon. Um, well, Ryu, Ryu, yeah, can mean dragon, but it also can basically mean like style. So, um, okay. uh, Su- Suioryu is like, it's actually like seagull over the water style. Like oh, that's cool. what it means. And, um, there's a feature on the Criterion, uh, release that's talking about the style itself. The, the real style of Suioryu and, uh, the sensei here, his name is Yoshimitsu Katsuse, and he's talking about how the traditions passed down you know oral tradition so there's no true mm-hmm. facts of what happened but supposedly the uh, originator uh yoichi zaimon mima is his name he saw a seagull on the water and it that's what inspired it <laughs> so the the kanji <sighs> that forms the name uh-huh. are water and seagull so it's yeah it's pretty cool Neat. um and there's actually a funny moment in that doc where 
the dude's talking about how martial arts true martial arts you should always be prepared and he's kind of he's kind of got a like okay boomer <laughs> attitude about things <laughs> and there's a funny moment where he's like even now i've already evaluated everyone in the crew and everyone like in the room like if i needed to take you out i know how to do it <laughs> it's like whoa that's awesome <laughs> oh man but yeah try hardy but yeah yeah it's great but i mean the way that it's he funny. says it is very matter of fact it's not like mm-hmm. he's like flexing but it's it's super yeah. fun um cool. seeing suiyoru in the film you don't really get a sense of ogami ito's style it's just that i mean he's gonna kill you but there's yeah. a moment in this encounter in the water when he's fighting against the inspector bizen that um he brings his sword under the water and then he mm-hmm. draws it up out of the water and they do like kind of like a triple cut of that and i think that's like their representation of uh ito's style so uh, it looks kind of cool i mean and it's it's really cool to see this scenery like the the low like height water they're kind of like under waist deep it's like knee high water with mm-hmm. the waterfall behind them looks super cool one line from uh retsudo that i really love is uh wash your neck and wait for the blade mm-hmm. oh, that's such a cool line that's so cool that's like uh, up there with you must be tired of living yeah <laughs> that's <laughs> good it? it's so good <laughs> Um, and then we get this really goofy shot where it's the, he says it's the uh, river of greed and the river of fury, and I'm going to walk the the righteous white path between them. And there's yeah. this shot of him carrying Daigoro while there's like this superimposed water and fire on the other side of him. Oh, I eat that. Yeah, stuff there's up. a similar shot cool. during the main titles. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny um, compared to the other films in our arc. There's definitely a lot more of like kind of a pulpy factor uh, to this Mm -hmm. movie. And um, I think, I don't know, that combined with it being more modern and in color. um, Yeah, it definitely kind of Mm. uh, separated itself for me kind of watching in this arc. So uh, following this, uh, we have our next scene. And this is kind of like what I was talking about where chapters of the manga will be basically somebody hiring ito to do a thing and then uh, it plays out and what we have here are three samurai that are kind of on the take with uh ito they know he's coming and they're like uh hey i'm gonna what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna try and hire him for this job but (laughs) basically the the late the leader of the three says to the other two like all right i want you guys to attack him and if he is who he, we think he is, you're going to die. But if he isn't, you're going to kill him. <laughs> and they're like, oh, sure, that sounds great. We'll do that. <laughs> yeah, it's like heads I win, tails you lose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, but they do turn it into this like somber, honorable moment. And it's yeah. like, thank you for agreeing to give your lives. And they're like, this is moving really fast. Like, did I agree to that? <laughs> yeah, I feel like... I feel like there could be other options between the two. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, so so funny. So yeah, actually, the way that he takes these dudes out is pretty funny too, because uh, he greets Ogami and he takes them to shelter because it's still raining out. And uh, as they're talking and discussing uh, the details, because another thing about Ito is that he will take a job. He has his own high price. 
But he says to them, like, you have to tell me everything. I need to know why I'm doing it and what the secrets are here. Like, I don't want any weird stuff because he himself is kind of uh, on the opposite side of the law. So uh, he gets his money. And then as the guy's saying, like, oh, are you up to this job? The other two guys come in from behind (laughs) and he just does almost like a Zatoichi style one kind of situation. He draws his sword slices them up and then just carries on like nothing happened (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's wild i love it yeah it's good stuff so as he's as we see him traveling after that uh he sees these kids um like bouncing a ball and singing in front of him and that triggers the next flashback and yeah they're Um, singing like about poop or something (laughs) yeah and that's also they translate it differently in the uh, it is out of manga they Mm -hmm. they translate it a little differently Mm -hmm. but but yeah, they're saying something about poop rolling downhill or something. Yep. Um, I like the the subtitles use the word turd, which is funny. <laughs> but, <laughs> you like um, that they, they use turd? Nice. It's just, it's just, it's just yeah, I feel like you'd say like poop or, you know, <laughs> something like that. Uh, but turd. It's uh, such a funny choice. I mean, this is really stupid, but it reminds me of a moment in Billy Madison when they do the whole like <laughs> gag where they put a flaming bag of poop on a doorstep yeah. and then the old guy steps on it, he's like oh they they got this that poop out here again and adam sandler billy madison says he called the shit poop <laughs> <laughs> so stupid i'm sorry i'm really derailing right. us today you're good, you're no, good. Man. Um, but yeah this is um this is uh chapter 9 uh, which is it's funny because chapter nine in the the finale of the movie is actually chapter eight, so it's but it's you know, it's a flashback, so it doesn't really matter. But mm-hmm. um, but we flash back to uh, Ito and Daigoro in their like, and they're wearing like these funeral robes, like these white robes, and um, he essentially says to Daigoro, "I'm going to." place a ball here and a sword here and if you go to the ball then i'm going to send you to be with your mother is i think the way he says it yeah um and if you go to the sword then you'll you'll travel with me and and be an assassin um super hardcore i love it, it and he, he even says like i know you're a little kid and you don't understand yeah, what's don't... happening <laughs> yeah yeah because it's like, cause like he's this even noble littler. blood runs through your veins yep. or something yeah he's he's even littler in this like he's literally a baby mm-hmm. and it's really it's a really cute baby too yeah. Um, yeah super cute but it's funny seeing this little cute baby like rolling around while <laughs> while he has this super serious look in his face and he's like you have to choose it's great <laughs> yep and um, the fate uh you know is on daigoro's side and yeah. actually it's yeah uh ito says something like oh it's too bad you know you would have been happier if you chose the ball now you have like this cruel life ahead of you mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> totally yeah so powerful yeah. this also reminded me another stupid thing was do you guys remember where when there was that octopus that would like choose who would win the world cup oh, they would yeah. like put the icons out and he would pick it oh right mm-hmm. it's basically the same thing here <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah this then after this scene you see that uh uh ito and daigoro are basically b- receiving their judgment for what's happened earlier um their supposed b- betrayal and uh they're 
ordered to commit seppuku and mm. it's you know very traditional you know they have these white garments you know prepared for death and this is the moment where you hear uh him start laughing and he's like <laughs> uh actually the, the dude officiating says like it's very honorable that you came here dressed in white and he said mm-hmm. um yeah, he says basically something like, "We're not dressed in white for our deaths. We're, I mean, we're yeah. we're dressed in white because, you know, we're casting away our old lives and we've chosen yeah. to take this new path to hell." Mm. And uh, he draws the sword <laughs> yeah. for them, and then he starts attacking. And yeah, yeah, there's some yeah. exceptional violence I mean, here. It looks awesome. Oh yeah, he cuts <laughs> up. I love the first thing he does. He he cuts up the like the order, like the paper that has the order that says that he needs to commit seppuku. Yeah. And um, the the bit with the broken blade through the guy's throat. Oh, it's Dude, so yeah. good. Man, wow. Oh, yeah, tons of amazing, amazing um, like, prosthetic decapitation mm-hmm. kinds of things throughout throughout the movie. And it's, yeah. wow, it, yeah, and there's, really hold up. And there's a couple of decapitations that just kind of happen. Like, you'll just, you, like, you just see the head rolling away and it doesn't draw a lot of attention to it. I um, do really like that, you know, he's... He's carrying Daigoro with him, and yeah. in the midst of the really wild choreography, you can pretty much tell that it's a little. <laughs> it's like a doll. dolly. It's like flinging around. It's yeah. great. It's it's it's, it's awesome. I do also really love. There's a shot where he's. It's a really tight shot on him in the foreground, but in the background, there's like one of the dudes that he's just slashed, and mm-hmm. his blood is gushing on like the tatami, like like around yeah. him. It just looks perfect. Mm-hmm. And I love the shot where this is the guy like cowering and he slices through him and it also cuts open like the bar that's holding the door shut. So the door yeah. opens and we see like the other people way on the other side. Yeah. And the way that that reveals the Yagyu, that Retsudo's there waiting and, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the last like, hey, like accept this and commit Hariki. And mm-hmm. um, the way that he escapes, he reveals that underneath his outfit is that Hollyhock crest. And yeah. it's basically like plot armor. <laughs> yeah. They can't like, attack you, you, him. You, you can't attack me. Like it's yep. kind of a diplomatic immunity thing. Yep. So he uses that. Or executioner to... immunity. I don't know. Something like yeah, that. Totally. Uh, but he, yeah, totally. But he, like but he uses that. You have so much kind of... honor for this symbol and like none for yeah. your dignity or family. But Yeah. Yep. Um, but they, uh, and, that, and that's cool too. Cause I feel like that's a little bit of that counterculture that you're talking is like, these people are, you know, they're being sketchy and underhanded, but they're still holding on to these old traditions so much that even though this guy that they actively framed and are going to kill, they're still going to hold on to the traditions that would prevent, like, yeah, it, I know. I can, I can see it being as like a, a bit of a criticism. No, in, it's in perfect. I, I think you're dead on with that. Yeah, yeah, it works really well. And we're treated to kind of its own little finale to this yes. sequence. And uh, this is actually one of the things where I think it's it's kind of cooler than what happens in the manga. So you've got... Yeah, I would agree, yeah. Yeah, this samurai encounter in the field where uh, one of Retsudo's men is... Uh, it's basically like... You guys ever play the original Ninja Gaiden on Nintendo where the two ninjas are yeah. running at each other? Uh, <laughs> you know, they clash. It's, yeah. It's totally like that. But also, Retsudo, again, kind of, uh, as he, as the narrator of the scene, makes it that much cooler. He's He 
says that, you know, Ogami Ito has his son on his back, but the other warrior has literally the son on his back. It's almost like fate choosing who will win. And then uh, as they run at each other, Ito ducks down and you see that Daigoro has a little... I don't know, like a little mirror icon of a flower <laughs> or something, and yeah. it reflects into the opponent's face at the yeah. exact moment that he needs to strike, and he lops his head off. It's oh, it's, it's so good. In the and sunset, then there's this amazing sun, this amazing uh, shot of the headless body with the blood spraying out of it in slow motion. It, yeah, again, this would this is like the end of of a different kung fu movie. <laughs> Like, it would be the hard freeze frame right there. Yeah, really cool. And that leads us to basically uh, another separate chapter. I don't know, Matthew, maybe you know. It, uh, this is, is chapter eight. This is the okay. whole the whole last half of the movie is, is chapter eight. Yeah, and I, I do remember this in the manga. And it's basically almost like a shot for shot retelling. It really it. is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's, it's very, like, just straight up exactly what happens with a couple of, like... They expand a few things, but otherwise it's exactly the same. See, he goes across this bridge and sees these bandits like chasing a guy off of the bridge. And um, that's actually one of my favorite panels from the from the manga is uh, the guy that gets pushed off the bridge, like holding his hand up. Mm. Uh, oh, right. Them. That's 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 a really cool, really cool shot, which they don't really replicate here, but plenty mm. of other cool stuff. And they like threaten to to cut the bridge while. Uh, Ito standing on it yeah and he basically rationalizes his way out of that so he makes his way across but then he's basically captured by these guys so he's whisked the way to their lair and you find that they're kind of they kind of got the run of this little town yeah it's uh um there's like a it's called go no mori it's like a hot springs and um all these bandits are basically running stuff and you've got a little pool of basically they're hostages so there's kind of like these down and out people there's a buddhist monk and there's like a samurai actually samurai suffering from consumption like we talked about in the zatoichi episode and then you have kind of a a professional woman you know like Mm -hmm. uh so this is going to lead to some more exploitative material and uh (laughs) He's playing it really yeah, and cool. The, band, the bandits are a little more kind of like broadly drawn. So yeah. Like yeah. To kind of like our, yeah, and our they're, villain. Yeah. And yeah, they're, they're definitely not Yakuza. Like they're not like organized, like criminal underground stuff. These are just some, some bandits that are trying to like kind of figure it out as they go. Yeah. They're almost like barbarians. They, they do yeah. have this leader. And actually I love how that plays out so there's like this one man that's kind of like the leader and then once Mm -hmm. he meets ito that's when he uses a a a fake name to introduce himself yeah and then the leader's like man i know i know this dude from somewhere where where is that (laughs) (laughs) it's so cool how all of that plays out Mm -hmm. but yeah we get to I love whenever they they're meeting up all like this this kind of motley crew of, of travelers that were in it. Whenever they talk about the woman, the her biggest crime is that she's a pillow thief. Which yeah. I didn't know if that was like like if that's like a euphemism or something that gets lost in translation. But they they call her. And she a whore literally and a pillow steals t- pillow pillows, thief. like throw pillows, <laughs> sleeping pillows. Yeah, uh, she's actually she's got kind of like a similar thing to. Um, 
Uh, oh, the madam sort of from the last yeah, yeah, movie. like that too. But also, yeah. um, Wheels on Meals, uh, what's her face in Wheels on Meals? Uh, oh, Lola Forner, yeah, Lola Forner's character. Oh my god, why am I forgetting her name? Kung Fu, David, Thomas, <laughs> oh, Al- 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 oh, yeah, and she's from <laughs> Wheels on uh, just think of, think of the video game, yeah, that's what I'm thinking, yeah. Well, anyways, um. That's, I'm really failing myself there. But oh, man. she totally the same thing, kind of like a lady of the night prostitute, but kind of takes advantage of the, you know, the Johns that she meets. Um, mm-hmm. You've also got this among By the... stealing their pillows, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, different era. <laughs> Who knows? Pillows could be worth yeah. something. That's right? true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, I mean, sleep is a wise investment, man. If you don't invest in your sleep, that's true. you need to do Sylvia. That Sylvia. Thank there you. There you go. <laughs> oh man, man thank you marty that that's awesome um you've got kind of like an ace among the little the bandits he's like a knife throwing mm-hmm. anime guy and um, he really is. he <laughs> yeah, totally. really gets offended by uh ito you know not kind of acknowledging him and wanting mm-hmm. to, so he wants a duel and then that turns into an encounter where he's among all of the other hostages and he's like here take your sword and he's like whapping him with it and uh mm-hmm. he's just kind of taking it you don't really understand why he's holding back yeah i was gonna ask you guys about that yeah um, i mean I was wondering the... if i was missing something like what yeah I, what makes the moment okay to attack i, I didn't understand what had really change well okay so he finally unleashes it yeah the woman osen she basically says you know he's a samurai he has honor and he's not just gonna you know rise up to uh you know incitement so like she kind of like reasons that for you but you don't really get a sense of ogami ito's perspective here but um what ends up happening is those bandits show up you know they're kind of roughing him up and they kind of take it to her and they say oh you know you're just some stupid lady and he kind of forcing her to i mean they force them to have sex he's like all right if you you're not man you yeah know, man it's the weirdest to- like horny dude <laughs> screenwriting yeah. logic yeah all it's time totally like it's some he come, somehow comes across as like a hero mm-hmm. um yeah, hero for having sex with a pretty lady <laughs> Yeah, and she's kind of taken with him afterwards for mm-hmm. doing it. It's almost like yeah. he honored her by doing yeah, it. Yeah, because he's, like, he's like high he's high honor and she's low class or, or yeah. something. I don't know. Right. I At mean, least there's some really cool shots, though. Yeah, yeah the like double, triple exposure stuff during mm-hmm. like the lovemaking yeah. is actually, yeah, super cool yeah. and sensual and stuff and this is this is what happens in the in the manga as well yeah and there's there's it although it's funny because obviously in, in in the manga uh ito is a you know he's very svelte very like you know burly <laughs> right. guy and and uh there ain't no dad bodies tommy zobro has <laughs> got mad dad bod yeah. going on right now so yep. <laughs> and he's got this this crazy underwear that's like Super wedgy in the back, but like goes up almost to his nipples in the front. And yeah, it's the kind of coverage. It's the kind of front. Want. It's what you want. Yeah. It really, yeah. it should really make a comeback, as I say, as a larger man. But <laughs> <laughs> oh. awesome. <laughs> Meanwhile, but, after all of but this, yeah, happens, I guess. Oh, sorry to derail things, but I guess but, like more broadly, like what is, like what is he waiting for? 
um, yeah, to like to just kill them because like obviously yeah. he doesn't care that much about and his he honor and he sense. ultimately does and I I I somehow just wasn't tracking like what had like what had mm-hmm. changed like and what the subterfuge was like accomplishing or whatever is that is that clearer in the in the manga at all? Uh, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, it's it's very similar. I yeah. don't think it's that much different. Maybe it's. I think they make it more clear that he goes to the town because he wants to go to the hot springs and maybe, maybe he just really want to go to the hot springs and not have to kill people to do it or something. I don't He's know. taking the weekend off gotcha. from killing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just didn't want to kill. I just wanted to relax in the hot spring. <laughs> and then when well, one or Monday rolls around is whenever he, yep. <laughs> he murders everyone in the, in the town, get back all, to the, all the, all the bad people is. Yeah. But Marty, honestly, it, it's really like, there's literally like the same dialogue in mm-hmm. uh, many of these scenes. Oh, wow. It's yeah. literally, like I said, uh, you know, Koike actually had a hand in uh, doing the screenplay for this, which actually is funny too, because in uh, one of the features on the uh, Criterion set, it's a, there's an interview with him, and he says how when he was handling the screenplay, he was in Tokyo, and they were filming in Kyoto, and uh, they would have to call him, being like, hey, can we get the screenplay? And he was like behind, so he'd actually have to dictate to them the screenplay. So he'd be like, all right, now this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen. So then <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. They were kind of going like, I guess almost like a Hong Kong cinema kind of style, where it's like, we just got to kind of work day to day and try to get this done it was kind of cool but um after you know this uh, happens you also get the sense that the bandits are kind of like looking they're gonna be leaving you see the hostages saying like oh yeah they're they're probably gonna leave tomorrow but also they're probably gonna kill us (laughs) and that's basically what uh, they do plan on doing so the bandits call everybody out in the village and including the little group that uh, Ogami Ito is in. And they say, hey, uh, we're leaving, but we're going to threaten you. So they all kind of raise their swords. And this is also in the manga. They say, it like, is, you know, yeah. just, you know, don't say anything or we're going to kill you. But mm-hmm. also this group yeah. of hostages, we're going to kill you just to prove a point. <laughs> yeah, I got to send a message. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like Fist of the North Star, actually. And yeah. um, these guys feel like they could have walked off of the oh, set of Fist of the North Star. Yeah, definitely. Like, lots yeah, of, lots totally. of like banged definitely. up, got like eye patches and scars in their face and stuff. Yeah. And this is the moment where it's actually pretty Which great. I guess, that's, so. I guess Fist of the North Star is a little bit after this. So, yeah, it or, is. Around the same time. But I mean, definitely within the same scene in kind of qualities of of what we see here and um you have this payoff now where you have the dude that's like man i know i know i remember this dude and actually it's like Mm -hmm. totally a coincidence in how he realizes it well it's like (laughs) trope number four or whatever where it's like someone is saying a word that triggers something for him and it's like wait a second yep and, and then one like of at those the right time another word gets triggered it's yeah. it's awesome yeah yeah man really this guy's really acting like a lone wolf lone wolf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's not quite that bad but i'm going to play my atari <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's the, the person says like um 
what was the first one? Because I know the, so the second one. Yeah, is the, the assassin. The samurai yeah, the, the is assassin. saying, you know, the, that's the, right. You've got the samurai suffering from tuberculosis, and they actually give him a chance to fight for his life. But he says that I'm too sick that I will perform seppuku, but I need kanshakunin. Yeah. I need the second. Yeah, I need the second to and cut then, my head off. And he's like, oh, a second. I know second. someone who is a second. Yep. And then he looks at the monk who's praying. He's like, praying? Another word for praying yeah, is ogami. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, holy smokes. <laughs> yeah. And then he, yeah, he has the fear of God in him. And that's just as... Uh, ito rolls up in his uh, mm-hmm. cart which oh also i wanted to mention i don't know so like for me as a kid growing up in latino community there's a thing that you see is like a paletero paleta man like the ice cream man but basically mm-hmm. he's pushing a little cart with bells and i was yeah. totally thinking of that when i would see ogami ito pushing that cart around <laughs> <laughs> and i thought it was so funny and also i was thinking man that'd be kind of a cool modern take on lone wolf and cub is like a paletero yeah. like the paletero would be like the lone wolf and cub <laughs> oh dude it'd be really funny and especially if he like would be like unblinking and like grim-faced as yes you, like the price little children and these popsicles <laughs> yes exactly you have the connection between the kids mm-hmm. you know ice cream kids and then the, yeah. the grim face of this i think it will work I- i'll develop it for tv yeah <laughs> <laughs> Dude, has anyone ever done like a? I'm t- so out of touch. Has anyone ever done like a horror movie about the ice cream man? Probably it has to be. Oh man, sure. like, that's I wanna, gotta be. I want to say there is right? an ice scream man. I want to say that's a movie. There's, I mean, it's gotta be. <laughs> let's yeah. let's see, ice cream. Okay, there is a horror series called Ice Scream, and there is at least four <laughs> movies of it. So, yeah. so there you go. All right. Yep. Nice. <laughs> Anyways. Once he's so afraid, this leader, he's like, don't touch him. Like, you know, Ogami Ito <laughs> arrives, and you've got this kind of hot-headed dude that's wanted a piece of him already. And uh, he's like, what? He's not going to do anything. And he takes out one of his knives to throw at him. And Ogami Ito, this is the first instance where we see, mm. like, what the power of the cart can be. And <laughs> he grabs the handle off of the cart, and it sprouts a blade, and he launches it at him, and that dude is dead. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. It's oh, so good. Yep. And actually, so like I said, I read the first omnibus. And you, as as I was watching the films in the manga that I read, you don't get as much of like this kind of A-team, like Swiss army knife <laughs> so of a fortune. baby cart, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's in the later chapters, but I, man, I, I read like 700 pages. Although one thing that happens in the very first uh, chapter that doesn't happen, I think it happens in one of the later movies, but doesn't happen in this one is... He like rides on the cart and like, oh, nice. like uses it uses it to get away. Mm-hmm. Um, but he the other thing he does is he grabs another part of it and he uh, he makes this uh, naginata like this like yeah. glaive spear thing with it and he fights off the dudes with it and he cuts off a dude's legs. Oh, it's such a good shot. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the legs like stay standing on mm-hmm. the ground. Perfect. Oh, man. Um, and we saw a guy earlier with like this chain thing and he's able to like wrap the chain around to, to, to get close. And this is, this is a part where like we see that first kill and we see the last kill in the manga, but this like expands this whole scene is like showing oh, yeah. all these, these guys getting, getting cut up. Yeah. You really got to go all in with this, you know, mm-hmm. 
I mean, the other thing I should really say about Tomi Saburo Wakayama is that, you know, I mentioned jokingly that he like was flipping around and stuff, but the physicality mm-hmm. of his uh, action is oh, yeah. is way more high energy to me than uh, Shintaro Katsu, you know, yeah. and that kind of yeah, goes yeah, into sure. Zatoichi's character because he's not mm-hmm. as, you know, flipping around or anything. But uh, seeing uh, Tomi Saburo here, he's very proficient looking and everything that he's doing all his sword strikes look awesome and all the different weapon stuff and he's not afraid to do like a you know a flip or (laughs) something it's really fun Mm -hmm. and actually he he had trained in judo so he was pretty uh uh ready to do a lot of the physical stuff and um like in uh sword of doom and like in zatoichi we don't get cases here of stunt doubles there's i don't think stunt doubling I don't know when it was introduced into Japanese cinema, but I don't I don't see it anywhere yeah. <laughs> in any of these old films. So that, that's pretty cool to think about too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also, um, just to call out, I think one of the coolest kind of aesthetic features of the film um, is really how the soundtrack utterly cuts away in so many of the fight sequences. Yeah. Yes. Um, we talked about that a bit. Um, I think in the first Zatoichi film. Um, how there are these moments where the sound is very sparse, but that's really pushed to this intent intentional level mm-hmm. here. That's yeah, really kind of haunting. Yep, and we do also get a moment where somebody's got a gun, <laughs> but it, I, I was gonna say I wrote. I think I wrote my notes. There's more gun shaming in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude, yep. that's great. <laughs> gun shaming. Yes, totally. There's, I think literally every single, uh, possibly every Japanese movie watch, except for maybe the Street Fighter, has gun shaming in it. Yep. <laughs> I mean, in most like period Hong Kong films that have any kind of Westerner Westerner in them, yeah, same vibe. Yeah. But yeah, this guy pulls out these two like pistols and he uses the I like they they take the time to show uh the the woman grabbing Daigoro before he does this stunt. Yeah. But he he like That was a reshoot two months later. <laughs> <laughs> the the he, test he audiences up, didn't like that. <laughs> yeah. He flips up the cart and the bottom of it's like metal, it's bulletproof and the, the bolts just bounce off of it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, and then he he just he just grabs grabs his son, puts him in the cart and kind of just walks away. <laughs> and and that's basically the movie. Yeah. Well, dude, there's an ice cold like bridge threat. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. That's right. Yeah, the, the the woman runs up behind him and's basically like, "Hey, take me with you." And he threatens to to cut Yeah, the, some the real like Mola Ram vibes there. Oh, yeah, totally. Cold. And then that's our movie. It's a it is a easy breezy hour twenty three. Which whenever I saw there was like six of these, I was like, oh man, six of them. But I was like, okay, if they're all if they're all in the you know buck twenty three area, then mm-hmm. I feel like that's 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 more doable. Yeah, they're all really fun. I mm-hmm. I I mean, I've I only seen know. the first three. I haven't seen the last ones, but yeah, they're good. Um, yeah, I think. Was it the the sixth one? Is the one in the snow? There's some cool stuff in there. You get to see the cart on skis, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> I think it was in the fourth one. The cart is straight up got like machine guns on it or something. <laughs> it's awesome. really fun. Yeah, it, it's wow. it's a really good time. And mm-hmm. yeah, I like I said, the, the Criterion release is really nice. Um, it is the transfer is beautiful. It is, and yeah. also like just the packaging. For this and for the Zatoichi. Oh, 
I oh, yeah. I now own the Zatoichi collection to any listeners that care. <laughs> yeah, yeah I was, you need to share some photos of. I should take some that more. box. Yeah, the, it's the amazing. Swim fans boys just did an episode recently about physical media. And yeah, so and I, I feel definitely like, I feel like resonated with it. that. Mm-hmm. Physical media is fun, but it's like this horrible vortex of addiction oh, that is yeah and i blame you guys for this because the podcast has turned this <laughs> oh, and yeah, yeah. turned me on to this turn you into a hoarder sorry yeah, it's bad news <laughs> but the zatoichi collection is so nice it's so it amazing and just the i mean yeah the artwork is awesome i i'm really i'm almost i'm kind of jealous that it looks so cool because i was like damn i just want to do stuff like this but um <laughs> the um uh, lone wolf and cub set i mean much smaller set but it equally uh in the amount of care like the artwork's super nice on that set it looks really nice but yeah that's a lone wolf and cubs sort of vengeance and i was a big fan of it and i'm definitely i need to seek out the the rest of them i honestly i might just buy the criterion sex i really like them i think there's a sale right now i i think they're like a it's not a half off sale maybe it's like 30 percent off right now but yeah if you see that and you're interested i you should own it if you like these films and you live in the states i i think you probably should try and invest in it's treat yourself come on we've been through a lot this past year right (laughs) (laughs) there you go uh but yeah and the the baby cart in the river sticks the follow-up film it's i mean marty if you like this movie this next the next one is almost crazier it's like it's so much fun there's a whole group of female uh, like ninjas that are super awesome and it actually does kind of have some zatoichi vibes where you know he's out on the road and then all of a sudden he encounters some people and it's like yep you know some some straight street shit where it's like i know somebody's (laughs) gonna come up on me and start something so let's see what happens it's cool dude awesome Thank you so much for checking out our show here. Uh, If you enjoyed it, then you can leave us a review on whatever you're listening to this on. And you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are at Heroes the Number 3 Podcast on all three of them. So, Carlos, what is our training for next week? We're not moving very far. Um, We've (laughs) talked about uh, Kazuo Koike, and uh, we talked about this lone wolf and cub one of his other pieces of work that i think would really be fun to talk about is lady snowblood this is uh the first film from 1973 was also distributed by toho and we'll be able to talk about meiko kaji the lead in this and you know see some more great blood (laughs) in this era of uh exploitation and yeah, talk about how much this has influenced pop culture. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's going to be a good time, Lady Snowblood. Very cool. Well, until next week, we're taking a look at Lady Snowblood. I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Remember your training. Heroes 3 is part of the Mercado Brothers Podcast Network. Good job, guys. Go team.